Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. The Bible talks about, you know, that he gives seed for the sower, bread for eating, and, and, uh, and, and it's important that we realize that some things he places in our hands are for us to consume and some things he places in our hand are for us to, like seeds, scatter and deposit so that there's always something growing. There's always a return coming. There's always something um, that we've sown that's, that, that is producing and reproducing itself. And so I just want you to see this, what you're holding in your hand, just a seed this morning. And that, that you're giving it to the Lord. You're giving it to God. That's true. You're releasing it from your hand. But, but it's not gone forever. That it's just seed that goes into the ground and reproduces after its own kind. And that, that the Bible says that if we sow generously, we'll reap generously. And we're not sowing to reap, but we can't ignore that the principle's there. The, the, the reason that we give is we're so thankful and we realize and we understand that, that he is the one who is the provider of everything. But, but we would be lying if we said we haven't read our Bibles and saw the promises that, that, that the Lord loves to generously repay those who give. And so not for that reason, but aware of the promise, we just say, God, this is seed in our hands. We give it to you. God, would you reproduce this in any way that you see fit? Father, whether that looks like money returning or whether that looks like favor with men, God, that could, could cause a greater increase in my life and in your kingdom than I could ever, ever, ever purchase with this what I'm holding in my hand. God, that you can breathe on this and make it something that I never could holding it. And so, Father, we just give this into your hands, trusting you and taking you at your word. Thanking you for your goodness and thanking you, God, that we have something to give. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the, the Bible's full of things like that, where, where there's this promise that, you know, you're not doing it for that promise, but you would be lying if you said you didn't know the promise was there. You know, when, when, when he talks about uh, the various promises that he makes to us, these are God's idea. It's not, like, you know, it's not like we woke up one day and were like, you know, God, it would be really cool if you said that you would, would uh, reward those who diligently seek you. So I'm going to diligently seek you, and now I'm hoping you get on board with life. No, he said that. It was like his idea. He looked and said, look, if there's someone who will set themselves to diligently seek me, I'll reward them. My reward will be more of me, but, but more of him in our lives looks like a lot of things. It says Jesus grew in stature, in wisdom, and in favor with God and with men. God can give you favor with men that you could never get on your own. God can make you happen to be walking in the door as someone's walking out. He could happen to put you in the right place at the right time where you have the need, give you an idea sitting in a meeting that you could have never thought of on your own. And suddenly you open your mouth and speak and you find favor with man because you've had favor with God. One always leads to the other. And sometimes favor with man doesn't look like we think it will. And sometimes we go through seasons where we look and say, this is favor? You know, Mary's so highly favored, yet God says, on a, I want you to get on a donkey while you're pregnant and travel across the country. That doesn't look like favor. Favor looks like a, a, a wagon pulling up or a chariot in our eyes, right? Favor doesn't look like getting to the city and realizing that there's not one place for me to sleep, so I have to sleep in a barn. That doesn't look like favor. Favor looks like us pulling up and someone walking out and saying, hey, do you guys need a room? Because I was going to stay in the best hotel. And I've got, to, I've got to leave, and I've got to... See, we think that's favor, and that can, favor can look like that. But sometimes favor is God putting you right where he wants you so that you can experience everything he wants you to experience. 
And in the moment, you might not see the favor of God, but if we don't grow weary in well-doing, we will in due season reap a reward. So I just want us to remember that and just not, not to, to ignore the promises of God. Not that that's the reason we do what we do. We do what we do out of a grateful, loving heart. We do what we do because he's changed us from the inside out. We're no longer serving a law that says you have to. We now live with a spirit that says I'm going to empower you to. You get to do the things that were once required of you. You get to live a pure life. You realize that's a blessing from the Lord that that was a taskmaster in the old covenant, now is a blessing in the new covenant. You get to live pure and holy in the sight of God. You don't have to wage war against yourself because yourself died with Christ and the new you resurrected into fullness of life filled with his spirit. Now his heart, he he said, I'll take their stony heart from them. I'll give them a new heart. I'll write my law upon their heart and their heart will be to know me. That's a privilege. That's favor. That's not, that's not I have to anymore. That's a get to. I get to wake up every day and not live for myself because I'm no longer dominated by selfishness. I'm no longer dominated by what I want. I actually have something greater than me that I live my life for. What a miserable existence to wake up every day and live my life with me on the throne serving myself and the greatest glory in the day is making myself happy. What a miserable existence that is. I get to wake up and serve a loving king. I get to wake up and walk after his spirit. I get to wake up and know that I'm a son, that I'm a child of God. I get to wake up and see him for who he is. I get to look at him. I get to walk through life aware of his promises and aware of who he is and aware of his presence in my life. I don't have to go up and climb a mountain and chant and dance and perform a ritual to experience his presence. I can wake up in the morning and open my eyes and say, God, I thank you that you're here and know that he's here. And suddenly now I'm fixing my eyes, not on what I see, but what I'm not seeing. And I believe him and I take him at his word and he comes. And I get to do that. I don't have to. But the other side of that coin is, is I could choose not to. And, and he's no longer using threats. And it's no longer, there's not this, this, this thing where it's like, well, if you don't, then this, this, this. you know, there, in the old it would say, if you don't do this, then this will happen. If you do this, then this will happen. And if you don't, this will happen. And now there's this thing where it's like, I may not immediately experience some horrible thing because I'm not choosing him. And in some ways it's easier, right? Like, like in some ways it's easier when you touch the hot stove and you feel that it's hot before you touch it and you touch it and it hurts and you know, okay, that's bad. I don't do that anymore. But there's things in life that sometimes we, there's no longer that like touching it and it feels hot immediately. But we have to trust his word when his word says, don't do this. I've set this apart. I've set you apart for something. Listen to me. If you, like, especially the younger people in here. Purity is not something like the minute that you stop walking in it, immediately you all of a sudden are just like, oh, man, everything goes bad. It's this thing where it's like, no, you don't understand that you're sabotaging my best for your life. And one day you'll see the reward of faithfulness if you just continue to walk in what I've called you in. And I'm not going to punish you today because you didn't. But one day you'll look back and you'll cry tears as you realize what you could have had. And the great thing about him is from that day when I see it and I look back with regret at what I could have, instantly that means repentance has come. And now I think differently. I change the way I think because I've experienced his goodness. It's his kindness that leads me to change the way I think, to repent. And I feel that. And, and, and the beautiful thing about it is, is there's a promise from him that at that moment when I turn to him, his righteousness is to me. And I can then walk the rest of my life in that place that I've found. 
But don't wait till you get to the place where you see the reward you could have had before you start walking in the reward that's available. Take him at his word. Just live from his word. Live, listen, even if you don't see the blessing in it immediately, trust that he's greater than what you see and just live according to his word. Start denying yourself and following him. I was having a conversation with a, a young kid the other day, and he was telling me about a situation he's going through, and you know, something he's dealing with with some people in his life, and he said, you know, it always comes down to this argument when I talk to him about it, about when, whether it's sin or not, and you know, how much before it's sin, and I said, listen, it, it, we don't even need to try to be lawyers trying to dictate to people where the line is for sin. The question we need to ask ourselves and that we should present to each other is, okay, so it's not sin, but is this what Jesus died on a cross for you to do? Is this, can you really say this is what following him looks like? If you can say that, then go for it. If you can really say this is what I believe he, he cared about so much that he gave his life on a cross for so that I could live this way, then keep doing it. If you can't say that, then you have to ask yourself, what could I be doing in that time that I'm doing that, that I'm giving myself to something lesser that he never even cared about enough to die for? I want to give my life to the things that he thought were important enough to die for. I certainly don't want to give my life to things that he had to die because of. I got such an awesome word from him sitting right there. It's calling my name, but I feel really strongly about this. Listen to me. This thing is not about like what you have to do. Christianity is not trying to figure out how close we can walk to that line and still go to heaven when we die. It's about seeing how close can I walk to him that I become more like him every single day. And that's not to say, like, oh, you have to, you know, like, I'm not, listen, you, you have to live by your convictions, but you, but seek the spirit for convictions. It says to one, it's not okay to eat meat, to the other, it is. In other words, there's things in life that are okay for you that aren't okay for me. And the only way I know which is which is if I'm seeking the spirit and actually being obedient to what he's saying. I can tell you right now, the spirit of God is never saying any of those things that God hated is Okay. Let's just settle that. We're talking about choosing between good and best most of the time is the Christian life. That's what it becomes. It becomes this choice between what's good and what's the best. Because Paul said all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. He's not talking about sin. Sin's not permissible. He says don't even let that be found in you. Put away all that stuff because you have died. Don't you know that you you were dead with Christ and resurrected to new life? He's not saying sin is permissible. He's not having that conversation with these people because he believes as born-again believers, sin is not the pursuit of our lives. So he's looking and saying, listen, you guys, you could pursue all these things, and all these things are permissible, but ask the Lord, which one of these is the most benefit to me and to your kingdom? God, which one of these things is something that you created me and put me on this earth for? Because all those things are permissible, God, but there's the most beneficial thing for the kingdom of God is the thing that I want. God, what would bring you the most glory in my life? That's what I want to give my life for, Father. I don't want to try to flirt and see how close I can walk to this thing and still call myself a Christian. I want to see, God, how much can I know you? How can I walk into eternity and hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant? Because that's what I want to hear. That's what matters. And it's not like... I'm trying to bribe him. It's saying, God, if you paid for my life, then what was it that you paid for? If you really thought my life was worth the life of your son, there had to be a reason. What was that reason? Why was I put here on this earth at this time? 
Why do I have the talents and the giftings that I have? Why do I have the skill that I have? God, why did you create me? Get alone with him and just ask him, God, why did you create me this way? And here's the thing. The the place where you think is failure could be a place where God says, no, you just don't understand. I want to use that. I just don't want to use it in the way that you are. I love that you're stubborn. I just don't want it to become pride where it becomes this thing that drives a wedge between you and people. But I want you to grab a hold of the kingdom of God and never let go. I place that tenacity in you. Don't let the enemy pervert it into something it was never meant to be. I gave you the ability that you have, but don't use it to build your own kingdom. Use it to build mine. But just get alone with him and just ask him, God, what did you see? This is what David's asking when, he's, when he says, who is man that you're mindful of him? He's not like putting humanity down and saying, who's man that you're mindful of him? He's not saying it like that. He's looking and he understands prophetically that there's a time coming when Christ, the Savior, the Messiah will come and give his life. He prophetically declares the coming of the Christ in the Psalms. He talks about the way he would die, that they would cast lots for his garment. He talks about the words that would come from Jesus' mouth. He prophetically declares these things. He knows there's a Messiah coming. He knows that it's God himself who's going to. He has a new covenant understanding living in the old covenant. And he's looking around at man. And he's thinking about the fact that he's going to trade his life for this. And he's saying, God, what, what is man that you're mindful of him? He's saying, God, show me what it is that you think is worth dying in humanity. Stop putting you down. He's not looking and going, I can't believe. He's saying, God, if you think that there's worth and value here that's worth trading the life of your son, show me what it is. And you can do, we can do that, you guys. Just get alone with him and just say, God, I I know that you created me for a reason. I know you put these talents and these giftings inside of me. God, who am I that you're mindful of me? Show me who I am. Show me what you saw that was worth the life of your son. can do these things anytime you want and just get alone with him i'm not yelling out of any other thing than i just want us to get this stuff you guys because if we would start living our lives every day realizing that every single minute his blood was shed for every moment of your life not just the ones that you do these things where you would put them in the highlight reel of your life you know sometimes we talk to people and or we hear people speak and you hear the highlight film you know, you, you hear the highlight film of their life. And so you hear, I went here and I did this and this, you know, God did this. And I went here and we saw God do this. Or, or, you know, the other day I was at work and I prayed and God did this and all that stuff. And that stuff's awesome. But what we don't see are all the moments in between that lead from one to the other that are just as redeemed, just as sanctified, just as important to God as the highlight film. Like David talked about a little while ago. Like our every moment of your life was, was paid for. It doesn't even belong to you anymore because it was bought with a high price, according to Paul. The word says, you, don't you know that your life doesn't even belong to you? It was bought. That means every moment of your life was purchased. That means he has the rights to every moment he purchased them. That's not like a, you know, that, that's not a beat us up thing. That's a, I mean, if he thought those moments were worth redeeming, then there had to be a reason why. Is what I'm giving myself to in those moments worth the blood of his son? Would he say that? More importantly, would I say that? Because what I believe will dictate the way that I live.
And, and I'm not trying to put some heavy burden or, or anything legalistic and all that. Listen, that's why we walk after the Spirit. You have to be in relationship with Him. You know, you can know His Word and not know His voice. I'll prove it from the Word. Saul studies under Gamaliel, the greatest Pharisee, the greatest teacher of Pharisees in the land, the one who every Pharisee looked up to, the one that every child, who's, who's, um, every parent who had a child that was going to be a rabbi wanted their child to study under. He was it. Paul studies under him. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. As to the law, he's perfect. He lists all these things to let us know this. But when God speaks, he says, who are you, Lord? He knows he's Lord, he's greater than me, but he doesn't know who he is. And God says to him, I'm the one you're persecuting. What's he saying? He's saying, Saul, you know my word, but you don't know who I am. You don't know me. Jesus said it to the Pharisees. He said, and, and listen, I'm not putting down knowing the word. If anybody comes here on a regular basis, we, we value and love and, and seek the word on everything that rules our lives and everything we do in our lives. But I'm saying this, it is possible to get to this place where you know the word, but you don't know him because Saul knew the word more than anybody that was alive on the earth in that day. Yet when God himself shows up on the scene, he says, who are you? Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, you study these scriptures in vain because these are those that, that point to me. He said, you, you guys, you're studying the scriptures so hard that I'm an interruption to you studying them. I've walked in the room and I'm interrupting you from doing what it is that you're supposed to be doing to find me. You guys are so busy studying the scriptures that when the one who the scriptures proclaim was going to walk into the room, walks into the room, I'm an interruption rather than the reason for what you're doing. Study the scriptures, get alone, pray, do all those things, but don't value anything above him. You have to know him. You have to know him, know him. You can know him. You can not just know all about him. You can know him. He's our high priest who lives forever to make intercession on our behalf. He's a man, fully God, fully man, at the right hand of the Father. And he's our high priest. And the Spirit of God lives inside of you. And Jesus said he will take everything. The Father's made all things known to me. And he will take these things that are mine and make them known unto you. You can know him. He lives in you. You don't have to go find him somewhere. He's not far away. He's in you. You get alone in a room and you're never alone in a room because he's there. You couldn't get alone if you tried. You, you understand that? Like, that should be the most comforting thing ever. If it's a scary thing, then he goes and sees everything. Then ask yourself, what is it in my life that I don't want him to see, that I don't want him to go? Come on, ask ourselves uncomfortable questions. If this isn't a comfort to me, why not? 
Because the most comforting thing in the world should be that the one who loves me more than anybody has ever loved me, who gave his life for me, goes everywhere that I go and sees everything that I see and sees everything that I do and is constantly with me. If that's not comforting, then we have to ask ourselves, what is it that would keep that from being a comfort in my life? And cut that out because the Holy Spirit's called the the comforter. If his presence doesn't bring me comfort, whoa. (laughs) Good thing there's only one little step there now. (laughs) Listen, if his presence doesn't bring me comfort, it's not because he's not the comforter. And it's not because there's something on his end that needs to change. Come on. If, if, if he said when he, the comforter, comes, if, God, if, if Jesus calls him the comforter, yet his presence doesn't bring me comfort, there's something that I'm missing. There's something that's off, and it's not his word. And you see how important it is to know the word? Because if you don't know the word, you don't know his place. But you can't settle for just knowing the word without experiencing what the word promises. Come on, if he's called the comforter, but he's not bringing me comfort, then I can know it in my head all the time. But if I'm never actually experiencing his comfort, I'm not experiencing the very thing the word was promised to me so that I would experience And I'm robbing myself of why the word is there. It's there to reveal who he is and to show me what he's like and to show me why he came and who he wants to be for me, not to point out who he was. If if everything that I read about in the word is for a time that was or a time that is to come, I have to ask myself, what is the value of having this word today? Don't ever settle for a theology that says everything you read about in the Bible was either for a time that was or a time that is to come. You know why we do that? Because we don't want to take personal responsibility for where our lives look nothing like what's promised in the Word. It's time that we actually start asking ourselves hard questions and saying, if, if this is who you were, and this is who you've always been, and you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, and if you thought this Word was worth preserving so that we would all have, and we value this Word as highly as we should, But if we so value this word today, if everything in here is for a time that has already passed or a time that is yet to come, what is the value of having this word today? All I need is a few little chapters that tell me how to say a prayer. That was never the goal. It was never the goal that you would just say a prayer and return back to life. It was that you would see the word, you would see Jesus, you would hear him say, as the Father sent me into the world, so I also send you, and that would send you on a treasure hand. Okay, God, how did you send Jesus into the world? Because it's the, it's, the, it's the glory of, of God to conceal a matter, but it's the delight and the glory of kings to seek it out. To say, okay, I'm not going to be okay saying, oh, was well, the Father sent me into the world, so I also send you. Like that's a, that's a quick statement that just rolls off the tongue, but do you realize the weight of that one statement and how you could spend your life seeking it out? Because the Father sent me into the world, so I also send you. It just comes off of our tongue, but it has to find its place in our life. So, so if... if if you really are sent into this world the same way Jesus was, then we owe it to ourselves to ask, our, ask, ask him, God, why did you send me? And does my life look like what you imagine? When you knit me together in my mother's womb, when you fearfully and wonderfully made me. Show me any areas where I'm settling for less than what you died for. Show me any areas where I'm living in something you died because of.
God, I just thank you for that. I thank you for your love for us, God. I, I thank you. This is not, you're not a frustrating father, God, that, that you've never, ever called us to something that you haven't given us the grace and the ability to become and to do. God, that if, if Jesus said, as the Father sent me into the world, so I also send you, that means that in the same way Jesus was empowered, anointed, so we also must be empowered and anointed. Because if Jesus said, apart from the Father, he couldn't do anything, then it's so true that apart from him, we can do nothing. But it's also true that we're not apart from him. If we're connected to the vine. So Father, I just ask that you would open our eyes to this truth. God, that we would never have days that we take for granted, that we would never have moments that we just discard, that we would realize that every moment was paid for. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. How are you guys? <laughs> I apologize. You know what? The problem with that is, is I've had way too much time on my hands lately. And I just, I, I read these things and they just go round and around in my head. And then I have conversations with other people that are seeking on things and that stirs more stuff. And Happy Mother's Day. How many of you in here are moms? How many here want to be moms? Keep them up. Just keep them all up. Yeah. How many of you in here um, had a child that you lost during the pregnancy, and you would say that that keeps you from being a mom? Is there anyone in here? Awesome. Is there one person in here? No. Okay. Good. Because I, we just we really want everyone to understand that that the minute if 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 life does begin at conception, then that means that every life that was conceived is a life that was paid for by the blood of Jesus, and it's a life that was redeemed, and it's a life that will be lived forever in the presence of God. And so a, a miscarriage or a stillbirth doesn't mean you're not a mother. It just means that you didn't get the chance to be an earthly mother. But one day you'll see them as they were created to be, and you'll spend eternity with them. Um, so, God, I just thank you for every mother in here. I thank you that, that you have graced and gifted women to bring forth life. I thank you for the miracle of birth. I thank you for the miracle of mother. God, I just ask that today, and every day, Father, but today as so many people everywhere are focusing on it, God, that the, that the majesty of motherhood would be reminded to all the mothers, that, that it's not... God, that it, it, is, it is absolutely one of the most important things in the world, that a child would have a mother that loves it, takes care of it, nurtures it. We just thank you for every mom in this place, God. I ask that you bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. And you know, that we say this on Father's Day, but you never hear it on Mother's Day, but the truth of the matter is, is if you didn't grow up with a mother, you can still be thankful that you have a perfect mother. Jesus is sitting on a hill, and not that we call him Mother Jesus, but he could display the mother side of God because he looks out at, the, at Jerusalem. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stoned the prophets, how I would have loved to gather you under my wings like a mother hen does with her chicks. What's he saying? I could have been that for you. I could have been that protector. I could have shown you that side of the heart of God if you would have let me. And we say this on Father's Day. You know, if you didn't have a father, God's a friend. And that is so true. But you know, the truth of the matter is, there's nothing you lack in him. He is complete love. There's nothing you lack in him. He can make up for any deficiency that was shown earthly. All right. All that was free. Now here's what you tithe for. 
Um, open your Bibles up to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We, we've been talking for a while. Second service probably won't get all that stuff. Because <laughs> um, honestly, you know, that's what happens. You, get, you, have, you, you just get up and you pour out what you feel like God's saying. You never want to get up and say, well, I just, you know, I have to get to this word. And if we get to it, we get to it. But the most important thing is, God, what are you saying right now? What are you saying in this moment to everyone that's here? Um, so Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10. We've been talking for a couple of weeks now, I guess. Um, about just kind of the idea of seasons and a wilderness. And, and if you haven't heard those two messages, I would really encourage you to listen to them because some of the stuff in there is, pretty, is a little bit counter some of the stuff that, that you hear in some of the vernacular that's used in church today. There's this, there's this tendency that we have to, to kind of take ideas and run with them further than God ever intended for us to run, and then we get way out beyond what Scripture shows us as an example. And so we've let the children of Israel sin in the wilderness be an excuse for us to live in a prolonged season of wilderness without realizing that, that, that it says because of their sin, because of their disobedience, they wandered as long as they did, that he had no intention of them staying there as long as they did. And so if we're not careful, we take something out of Scripture, we'll pull it out of context, and we'll use it as an excuse to stay somewhere less than he died for us to live. When there's so many other examples of wilderness, whether it was Jesus being brought out into the wilderness by the Spirit of God, he's tempted by the devil, he comes out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit, walks into the temple and proclaims the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, he's anointed me. John the Baptist received the revelation of Jesus, the word that he is, the lamb slain who takes away the sin of the world. He says, it says the word of God came to him in the wilderness. John, the, the, the one that Jesus loved, the disciple, gets exiled into a wilderness season by man through no fault of his own. And God says, here's the perfect opportunity to bring you up into heaven and give you a revelation of my son. He receives something there. Every time someone that we read about was, was following the Lord went into a wilderness season, it was always because there was something he wanted to give them and impart to them. It was never because he wanted to bring them there to beat them down and leave them depressed. So, that's why it's so important to know the word. Because otherwise, you, you, could, you could hear terminology like, well, you know, I'm just in a wilderness season. Well, that's awesome. And, and I don't mean this um, flippantly because we do go through hard seasons in our lives and we go through hard things in our lives. But I am saying that we can joyfully expect that on the other side of every one of those seasons, there's more of him and there's something he wants to impart into us. And so we can have an excitement even though that we do face very real things and we go through very real seasons where it feels like a wilderness. Um, and so that's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. And I want to just kind of talk a little bit more about that. Because just in studying Deuteronomy, I just I found some things in there. And I, I feel like maybe you can tie them together in the New Testament. We'll see. Um, but in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10, says, Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land, which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, Hewn cisterns, which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied. Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that, that this means as much to us today as it meant the day you spoke it to your people back then. Father, that it's alive, that it's not simply history recorded, God, but it's a revelation that's continually unfolding. We thank you for that. Holy Spirit, I ask that as I speak today, you speak through me, you continue to speak through me, and that, that our ears would be open to hear, our minds to understand, and our hearts to receive your word, God, in Jesus' name, amen. So, 
there, this is, there's so many amazing things in this. One of the first things that, 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 that you see when you, when you, realize, when you see this is, is that God himself is actually in this place of asking the people, just don't forget me. Like, sometimes I think we, we forget that, that he desires relationship, that, that yes, he's holy and he's set apart and all those things, but in his holiness and in his set apartness and in his sovereignty, he wants relationship with humanity over and over again. It's why Jesus weeps on a hill. You know, he's not this cold, uncaring, calculated being that sits far off and is indifferent. He actually wants relationship to the point where he says, listen, you guys, I want to do this for you. I want to bring you out of the desert. I want to bring you into this land of blessing that I promised to your ancestors. I want to be who I said I would be for you, and I want to bring you where I said I would bring you. But here's the thing is I Right now, you need me for manna. You're about to live in a land that has vineyards and olive trees. And right now, you need me for water. You need me to tell Moses to strike a rock or to make water flow here and there. But you're about to enter into a land that has wells that are already dug that you didn't even dig. And right now, in, in, during the day, you need me as a cloud to cover you so that you're not destroyed by the sun. And at night, you, you need me as a fire to warm you so that you're, you don't freeze. But, but you're about to live in houses. They're full of good things. Right now, you don't have anything. You're about to have a lot. And, and where you once wandered in the desert with no place that you could call your own, you're about to be brought into an amazing city that you didn't even have to build, and it's going to be given to you. And he's saying, listen, I want to give you these things. Understand this. This is God's idea. It's not as if the children of Israel wandered around in the desert and made a list up of things they would want God to do, brought it to him, and he blessed it. This was all his idea. And he's saying to them, listen, you guys, this is something I want to do for you. But I'm just telling you, when you get to that place, please don't forget about me. Don't forget me. Don't forget that I'm the one who brought you out of slavery. I want to bless you. And you know, sometimes we look at people's lives and we see that things that they have led to destruction or, or led to ruin, and we think, well, there's no way that was God. Well, maybe it was. And maybe God's desire to bless is so great that he says, you know what? I know there's a chance that me giving you these things is going to cause you to forget about me, but I want to take that risk because I want to be chosen beyond being needed. I want to choose you beyond you needing and having to choose me. I want you to be able to wake up in the morning and have everything in front of you and not forget me. Like you didn't forget me when you woke up in the morning and you couldn't eat if I didn't give you manna. Because here's the thing. If, if, if our relationship with God is built on need, and, and not listen, he promises to supply all of our needs. So there's, there, it is absolutely scriptural for us to to depend on him for our needs but if that's what our relationship with him is built on what happens when he meets our needs if 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 the only reason i remember him in the morning is because when i wake up i have to go out and find manna what happens when i wake up in the morning and i step out onto my balcony and as far as i can see there's a vineyard that i own 
what makes me remember him? See, if, if my relationship with him isn't greater than just having my needs met, I'm going to have a problem. You're going to have a problem because he's promised to meet our needs. And not just meet our needs, he actually said he'd give us the desires of our heart. And so, so God's talking to his people, and, and I, I just... I love that, that there's this side of his heart that you see, and he, he repeats it again in, in, uh, in Deuteronomy 8. Like, this is a big deal to God. He just wants to be chosen. Like, when you needed rescue, when you realized you were dead in your sin, when you realized that you needed a Savior and you understood there was nothing that you could do to save yourself, and you saw that he gave his life and shed his blood for the forgiveness of your sins to become your Savior, and that by, by yielding your life to him and accepting the life that he paid for and confessing him as Lord, you become born again. There was a need that was there that you couldn't fill anywhere else, and that was how you came to relationship with him. But once you come into relationship with him, what happens when you realize that he promised to supply all of your needs if all you know him as is a rescuer? What happens when you're rescued? And I think that, that God so wants to have this relationship with his children where they choose him that he says to them at some points during the desert, I put before you this day a choice. Life, death, blessing, cursing. He, it's not a trick question. It's not a, it's not a pass or fail test. He tells them the answer. If, if you walked into a classroom and the teacher looked at you and said, listen, today I'm going to give you a simple test. It's going to be true or false in everything that matters in life as far as your grade point average and, and, and this class is dependent on you getting this answer. Yes, and the answer is true. How badly does that teacher want you to get it right? How badly does that teacher want you to live in the blessing of what that grade will bring? Here's the Lord saying, I'm putting before you this day a choice, life or death. Blessing or cursing? Choose life that I may bless you. But he gives them the choice. Why? He wants to be chose. That's why he put two trees in the garden. Because if there's not a choice, then it's not a relationship the way he wants it to be. And he always wanted to be chose. And so he brings his people through a time of the wilderness. That time in the wilderness wasn't supposed to last as long as it did, for one. But for two, it was supposed to reveal who he was, not just show what he could do. So manna was so that they would understand and know him as provider, so that when they stepped out onto their balcony and they see these vineyards and these olive trees, and he points it out to them. He says, you're going to eat from vineyards that you didn't plant and from, from olive trees that you didn't plant. And what's he saying? He's saying, listen, don't forget when you have all this stuff that it's not you that did it. Remember that it wasn't you that planted those vineyards. So when you know me as provider, whether you're walking out and picking up manna or you're stepping out and overlooking your huge vineyard, either way, our relationship doesn't change because you understand that everything you have comes from me. So you're just as thankful for me when you're walking around picking up what you need to eat that day as you are when you're looking out and seeing what will bring wealth for generations. Because in the process of going from one to the other, he just doesn't want us to forget about him because he wants our relationship to be just as close during the times of plenty as it was during the times of need because we want him, not just what he can do. Yeah. 
So I, I was reading that, and, and I was thinking, like, so, so what does that look like in the, in the new covenant for us? And it was interesting, the order that God said those things in. And I, I was uh, in Matthew chapter 6. If you can turn there now, just keep your thumb or your place mark or your whatever you, you use now that everyone uses iPhones and iPads. But, well, we'll have it on the screen. That way you don't have to try to flip back and forth. But um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, Jesus is talking and he's teaching and he says this. He says, so when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have the reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right is doing so that your giving will be in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So the first thing that God said to them, he said, look, I'm going to bring you into a city. You know, that's something we're all going to possess. But then he says individual things. He says, you're going to live in houses that are filled with good things that you didn't fill. How do we not lose sight of him when we live in a home full of good things that we didn't fill? Well, there's two things. The answer is, is in the question. If we realize that we didn't fill it, we don't lose sight of our need for him, and we don't lose sight of our thankfulness because he's the one who filled the homes for them. But, but there's something that Jesus says here. He says, when you give to the poor, notice he says, when you give. This was, these were things, he's about to talk about three different things, and these things are not if you, they're when you's. Make sure you don't put an if where he puts a when or a when where he puts an if. He says, when you give to the poor, John says, if you sin. If one of those is optional, it's the one that has the word if in front of it. Look, that's his word. I didn't say that. He did. I'm just repeating it back. He says, when you give to the poor, giving to the poor, giving sacrificially, giving when we have a house full of things, when we actually take it upon ourselves, and not just like you know, our, our, what we give at church or whatever, but I'm saying when our eyes are open to the fact that there's people around us who have less than we do, and we actually take it upon ourselves to hear his voice, to hear his calling, and bless other people and give is a great way to not forget God when we live in the land of plenty. Because A, you have to be listening to his voice to hear him say to give. That's a great way to keep your attention on him. But B, you also have to trust him greater than your accounts and your reserves when he calls you to give more than you would be comfortable giving if it wasn't the Lord. You know, there's times where he calls us to give things that are beyond our comfort zone. It's so easy to be generous when God asks you to give someone five bucks when you've got 5,000. What about when he says give 2,500? How do you not forget him? You know, there was a time where Patty and I had, had our house paid off. It was an amazing story. I don't want to spend all the time telling it, but in short, somebody anonymously sent us a check for $105,000, which was the amount that we owed on our house, two months after we decided that we really wanted to be debt-free and all we had left was our house. We got on our knees before God and we said, God, we've cut cable, we've cut the gym, we've cut everything out of our lives that costs something that we could possibly cut. We're not selling the kids because you've called us to steward them. <laughs> but we, we've cut everything else out. And, and, and here's the extra that, that we have every month, and we're going to give this every month extra until that's paid off, and we're going to trust that you'll do more than we could do if we kept this. And two months later, our house gets paid off. But you know the first thing that we did, and I'm not saying this to, to boast in ourselves because it's the working of the Lord. The first thing that we did when that happened was we asked, who's somebody that's in debt that we could bless? And we took half of what we had saved, and we gave it to the person who had need. Why did God have us do that? 
I think it was because in the moment of sitting there with everything paid for and owning everything that we could see, he wanted us to remember our need for him. So he called us to a place that would be uncomfortable without hearing his voice. One of the ways that you don't forget him when you're sitting in a house full of good things is to be obedient to his voice and to give when he calls you to give. Okay, second thing he says. I just, I love this. I love when you find the the parallel between the two, right? So the second thing he says is, you're going to drink from cisterns or wells that you didn't dig. In other words, there was a time when, when, when for the Israelites, water was scarce because they were living in the desert. Now they were about to have water anytime they wanted it. It wasn't like they had to be frugal with it anymore. They didn't have to try to say, okay, how are we going to store this up so that we make sure this lasts as long as possible because we don't know when the next time we're going to need water is. They, they, they actually got to a place where they could walk outside of their house and there was a constant flow. There was a constant source. And anytime they wanted water, anytime they were thirsty, they could go to it. How do we in the New Testament, if, 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 if Jesus really is the water of life, how do we in the New Testament make sure that we don't forget about him when we live in a time where you can access teaching, worship music, and and ministry 24-7. If you have a phone in your pocket, you have a a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week access to teaching, to the word, to prayer, to worship music, and all that stuff's amazing, but in the process of having all this stuff available to us, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves there more than we find ourselves with him, and we can actually forget him in the pursuit of what he's given to other people. How do we keep ourselves from that? It's getting alone with him. So Jesus says this to us, the new covenant. He says, when you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites because they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray to Jesus, these things that he's talking about were going to be a part of our life. He wasn't saying like, you know, and if you decide that you want to be one of those spiritual intercessors that wears wolf t-shirts and prays all the time. He doesn't say that. Yeah, because the intercessors love wolves and owls and stuff like that. I don't know why, but they do. It's just the truth. It's okay. It's just true. Or a lot of them do. Oh, Jesus, help me reel it in. All right. But he doesn't say, if you decide that you're one of those people who's going to call themselves an intercessor and give themselves to prayer all the time. No, no, he says, he says, and you, he's talking to all of us. He's talking to everyone that was sitting. He says, when you pray, get alone. Does that mean you can never pray in public? No. He says, listen, just make sure that you're not doing it in public so that people will hear you, think how spiritual you are, and put you on a pedestal because then you've received the reward of what you've done because you were seeking the attention of man the second you got the attention of man. Everything else that you prayed for is null and void because everything you were looking for has been given to you by the attention of people. Just make sure that when you're standing before him praying, whether you're in a room full of people, well, when you're in a room full of people, that why you're doing it, is the same reason as it is when you're alone. And then you'll never have to worry about your prayers not being answered and your reward being given to you by men instead of the Father. But he says this. He says, listen, when you pray, get alone and and pray and seek me. Jesus said to the lady at the well, he said, I'm the living water. You drink of me, you'll never thirsty. How do we make sure that when we have water available to us everywhere we go, that we never lose sight of our need for him? Get alone and spend time with him and seek him for no other reason than just to be with him. Why? Because when you seek him in private alone, you're not doing it for any other reason, and there's no chance that you're doing it for any of the wrong reasons. You can only be doing it to know him. And the only way that you can do it to know, that you want to do it to know him is if you understand your need for him. 
He's saying, listen, there's going to be a time where water's available anytime you want. Just make sure that you don't get so full on other water that you don't forget the living water. Get alone with me. Get alone. Spend time with me. Spend time seeking him. Prayer is not just getting before him and making a list. He's not Santa. He's a father. Get alone and talk. Listen. Seek him. Know him. But get alone with him. And he says, when you eat from olive trees and vineyards that you didn't plant. Like I talked about, there was a time where they needed him to supply manna. They, they needed him for food. And he's saying, listen, you're, gonna, you're not going to need me in the way that you needed me in the wilderness. You, you're going to go through seasons of life where the way that you need him is different than it was in the one before. If you try to find him in the way that you did in the past season, you won't find him there because that's not where he is. He, he's no longer going around sprinkling manna on the ground. So you can wander around trying to find what he did, or you can realize that you're not looking for what he did. You're looking for who, who he is. And so he says, listen, there's going to come a time where you're not going to have to get up in the morning and depend on me for manna every day. You're actually going to be able to get up in the morning and look out and see all this stuff that you have. Listen, so for us in the New Testament, what does it look like for us to not forget him when we can eat, when our one home has more food on its shelves than the children of Israel had for an entire nation? You understand that at the end of the day, everything they had was rotten and had to be discarded. And through the night, they had nothing. And when they woke up in the morning, if he didn't supply, they had nothing. Before the manna came, there was the, you realize that you have more food right now. And I don't care how little food you have. You have more food on your shelves that you can eat right now than the Israelites had on their shelves when they went to bed at night. An entire nation, you have more in one home. How do we keep ourselves? from not needing him and forgetting about him when we have more food available to us than an entire nation had? You probably know where it's going. Matthew 16, 6, 16. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have the reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So Jesus says, listen, when you fast, in other words, when you deprive yourself voluntarily of food, you make sure in doing so, when you set aside food and you deprive yourself of I promise you, you'll know you're doing something. And if your awareness the whole time is on what you gave up rather than the one that you're seeking, or if your awareness the whole time is making sure as many people around you know that you're fasting as possible, then you have your reward. But, but Jesus says this, is listen, don't even let people know you're fasting. That doesn't mean if you go to eat with your family and you're not eating and they say, hey, how come you're not eating? You don't have to lie to them. He's just saying, don't put on a shirt that says I'm fasting and walk around looking miserable so that everyone would be like, what's wrong with you? Oh, I'm just fasting. It's getting hard. It's been seven days. No, it's just, you know, I'm just, he says, listen, anoint your, look, don't look beat down because what you're getting is hopefully greater than what you've given up. And this is the way, so he's saying, listen, and if you do this, if you don't do it for men to see, if you do it for the right reason, if you do it because you want more of me, that will keep you in that place of not forgetting me. So then listen to what he says. So here's the amazing thing to me is for one, it's the order, but for two, it's the promise. So the order, he says, listen, you're about to go into a place where you have homes that are filled with stuff. You're about to have abundance. 
Remember to give. And remember to give as I lead you to. And he says, you're going to go to a place where there's all kinds of water. Don't forget to pray and be with me. And, and you're going to have more food than you could eat looking at it just fast. So you don't forget about me. Here's the amazing thing about all this, and I'll just close up with this. In every one of these, there's a promise of reward. In every one of them, there's a promise. He says, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you in the open. You realize that he wants to reward you? Do you realize that if you do it for the reward, you probably aren't going to get the full reward? That's the tension that I was talking about at the beginning that we live in, where there's this promise that if we will do these things, he'll reward. You realize reward is his idea. He wants to reward you more than you want to be rewarded. He so wants to reward his children that he brings them to this place and says, I am fully aware that what I'm going to give you could cause you to forget about me, but I want to bless you, so I'm going to take the risk. Just don't forget me. I feel like for a lot of people, you've moved out of a season where there was this constant need. There was this constant, you know, all this stuff where there was like, you know, you needed to be rescued and there was things you needed to be set free from and you found freedom and you found rescue. Just don't forget him now that you're walking in the goodness of his promises. Don't feel guilty for walking in his promises. They're his promises. Don't feel guilty for walking in his blessing. It's his blessing and it was his idea. Just don't forget him and let the blessing come at the expense of the one who blesses. Next week, we'll talk about romanticizing the wilderness because that was where I was heading next, but that'll be for next week. God, I, just, I think. God, I thank you for your word. I just ask, God, that, that, that we would be a people that you could bless in every way that you want to and that we would never in the process forget you. God, that we would choose you in times of lack, but we would choose you just as much in times of plenty. God, that when there is nothing to drink unless you open a rock, we would choose you just as happily, God, as when there's something to drink standing on every corner. And we would never let our relationship with you be based solely on having needs met, but our relationship would be based on knowing you as a father. And we're thankful, God, that you supply our needs, that you promised to do that. We thank you for that, Father. God, we never want to confuse what you do with being greater than who you are. We want to know you. Not just what your hand does. So we thank you, God, for bringing us to that place. God, help us to give as you, as you lead us. God, if that's something we're not doing, God, beyond just when we give uh, at church, but if we're not actually listening to your voice and being obedient with what you've entrusted us to steward, God, I ask that we would turn our hearts towards you and say, okay, God, I don't want to forget you now that I have this. God, it was easy when I had 10 bucks to give two. Let it be just as easy when I have a lot. God, if, if, if we're not spending time seeking you and praying and being alone with you, God, let us remember to just get alone with you and drink of the water that only you can give that leads us to never be thirsty. God, you're a continual source and supply. I thank you that we would just seek you alone when no one's looking, God. Not for men to think how spiritual we are. Not for people to talk well of us. Not for our prayers to impress people, God, but for our desire to be for you. And I pray that we'd be people, God, that would fast. That we would say, in a time, God, where I have so much, I'm willing to voluntarily go without so that I remember my need for you. 
because I want more of you, God, because you're better than anything I would give up. I thank you for that, God. I thank you that as you take us from the wilderness into a place of blessing, God, that's your desire, that is your idea. Father, that in the process, we wouldn't lose sight of you and we would never let things take the place of one thing. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.